Well, good morning. Welcome to Emmaus Church. My name is Nathan. I'm happy to be here. Happy you're here. Uh, big thanks to Ryan George for preaching last week. Uh, thanks, Ryan. Appreciated that very much. Was uh, out of town uh, and back. So, um, welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, raise your hand if you like a Bible. Somebody will hand you one, I believe. It looks like they're helping with chairs right now, but scripture will be on the screen. But if you'd like to look along or follow along in the Bible, we'll be in John chapter 9 and John chapter 11. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book of the New Testament. And then also, if you're sitting on an aisle and there's a basket under your chair, would you pass it down? And if this is uh, one of your first times here or your first time and you'd like to hand off your contact information, you're welcome to do that by filling out a card that uh, lives in these baskets. And then we'll pick them up in a few minutes when I'm done teaching. All right. Great. Well, while we get some, some more chairs set up, just let me um, say that I, I just returned a couple days ago, or yesterday, I think. I'm kind of confused. Um, this may be really interesting today. From Thailand, which is on the other side of the world, 16 hours difference, so I'm kind of woke up at 3.30 this morning. Bing! Um, and so what I did was I was invited by a friend who works at a school over there to teach, so I preached eight sermons and four days and did an afternoon seminar and met with staff and met with students. It was a super intense week of ministry at this, at this school up at the top of uh, Thailand. It was a blessing. And I'm looking forward to sharing some stories about it in the next couple of weeks as, uh, as we push into this series. I think some of the stuff will relate better. But um, I, uh, I was super challenged by the folks there. All the kids in this school, most of the kids in this school are missionary kids or kids of ex- patriots who are working in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and they had some crazy stories. That was a humbling experience for me to be with them, and totally a blessing. Um, so that's where I was, and uh, I'll share a little bit more about that as the, as the weeks go forward, but thanks for your support in that. Um, I'm starting a new series today called Questioning the Questions. Often we hear that Jesus is the answer, and of course there's a degree to which that's true, Jesus is the answer. But if you've read the Gospels, if you've paid attention to the conversations that happen in the Gospels, uh, you, one of the things pops out pretty, pretty instantly is that a whole lot of people ask Jesus questions and he rarely gives answers. Uh, you, might, you might say that Jesus is the, is the great questioner, because he often responds to people's questions with questions. Um, it depends on how you count them, but... Uh, if you, if you count duplicates and those kinds of things. But you could basically look at it like this. About 200 times Jesus is asked a direct question, and less than a handful of times, like three, he actually gives a direct response. Uh, so 200 questions, only a few responses. And on the other side of that, Jesus asks over 300 questions of other people. So yes, Jesus is the answer, but he mostly is asking questions. Uh, he rarely answers questions the way we expect him to. Usually he responds to questions by pushing us deeper into our questions by asking us questions, try to get to the question that's behind the question. Uh, so for a long time I thought that was just kind of a curiosity. I thought maybe that's just a teaching technique that Jesus uses. But recently another thought came to me, um, and, and, and it's this, that maybe the reason that Jesus so often responds to our questions with questions is because our questions are the wrong questions. Like, maybe we're just asking the wrong questions. Um, maybe the questions that we're asking Jesus are not the real question, not the main question. Maybe Jesus doesn't answer people's questions because there's a lot more honest question 
behind the question that is being asked. And Jesus knows that behind the question being asked is a more honest question, a more real question. And so he just responds with a question as a way of pushing us deeper into the real question that's behind the question. Does that make sense? Or maybe he doesn't respond to your questions because you're just asking a stupid question, all right? Maybe that's better. Uh, here's an example of people asking Jesus the wrong question. In John chapter 9, let me paraphrase the story. Jesus and his disciples are walking along. They come across a man who was born blind, and the disciples ask Jesus this question. Who sinned? This guy or his parents so that he was born blind? To which Jesus responds by essentially saying, you're asking the wrong question. He goes on to say that this disease is not a result of it's not a punishment for his sin. It's not a punishment for his parents' sin. And what he literally says is this is so God's work may be displayed in his life, which is definitely not what they were thinking. And it's definitely not what we think when something bad happens to somebody that we love or somebody is born with a problem, a genetic problem or a disease. They ask the same question we ask, which is whose fault is this? Explain this to me. And what I think what Jesus is doing is he's saying he's trying to push the disciples to the question that's behind that question. So it's almost like Jesus is saying, what are you actually saying to me? Are you asking me, is this fair? Are you asking me, is this just? Like, are you trying to rationalize this by saying, oh, this guy must have done something bad so that he gets this as his, as his uh, consequence. He deserves this. Or what are you asking me? Are you asking me, why is there brokenness in this world? And why are good people affected by brokenness? I think it's not so much that our questions are wrong. It's that we should question our questions. Maybe our questions are rooted in a way of seeing things that isn't accurate. Maybe our questions, in other words, are rooted in our own confusion. So we should question our questions. Maybe our questions are rooted in falsehood. And so maybe we should question our questions. Maybe our questions that we're asking are rooted in selfishness which would be a really good reason to question your questions. So this is a series, this teaching series we're starting today, about uh, getting to the issues behind our questions in order to experience serious change. Today is the first Sunday of the season of Lent. Lent is a 40-day season leading up to the celebration of Easter, which is the day of the resurrection of Jesus. Lent is a discipleship tool. Uh, Lent is a way that we can prepare our hearts to celebrate really the foundational uh, declaration of the Christian faith, which is that Jesus rose again. The whole Christian calendar really is a discipleship tool. It was designed by Christian leaders to help followers of Christ grow in wholehearted relationship with God. What I mean by that is that we often have certain emotions that are easy for us to bring to God. We sometimes go through certain situations that are easy for us to bring to God. And on the other side, we have certain emotions and certain situations that are really difficult for us to bring to God. So some people know how to have a relationship with Jesus when life's going well, but it all falls apart when life crashes. Other people know how to go to Jesus when they're sad or when they need something. They actually have a real relationship with Jesus. It's just that it's partial. It's half-hearted, it's not whole-hearted, because they can bring their sadness to God, but they have no idea how to celebrate with God. Or, or maybe you know how to celebrate with God, but you have no idea how to bring your anger to God. If you're angry, you walk away from God, because you never learned how to bring that part of your heart to God. If you're frustrated, you don't know how to come to God, because you never learned how to do that with God. 
And so the beauty of the Christian calendar is that it ushers us through this series, this full gamut of situations and emotions, the series of feasts and fasts throughout the whole year, and it's meant to disciple us, to form us into a way that we can bring our whole selves into a real relationship with God. And this is one reason why following the church calendar is so powerful. It forms our hearts. So traditionally, the season of Lent is characterized by simplicity. It's characterized by repentance. It's characterized uh, by fasting. And these are really challenging things. Because we usually would rather have abundance than simplicity. We're way more into feasting than we are into fasting. Um, even though fasting is seen even in certain like, you know, fitness circles as potentially having some positive. But repentance, simplicity, fasting, repentance. Repentance is almost a bad word in our culture. It, we just plain don't like it. Um, in our culture, it's a broken word. It's been used too often, I think, to judge people, to hurt people, to shame people, to hit people. And so we tend to shy away from the word repentance. And this is really unfortunate because... Um, throwing out the word repent keeps us from receiving what God wants us to experience that cannot be experienced in any other way. So God's call to me to repent is really a call for me to change my mind. His His call for me to repent is really a challenge to me to question my questions. To reevaluate the kinds of questions that I am asking. Why should I do that? Because my questions reveal my assumptions about life. My questions reveal my values about life. My questions reveal the way I see things. And maybe those things need to be changed. You ever feel like God never answers your prayers? You ever feel like that? Well, Lent could be a season when you are invited to reconsider the things you're praying for. I'm not saying that you're praying for wrong things. I'm saying Lent is a season where maybe you reconsider the things that you've been praying for. You ever feel like life just doesn't work? Just not working out? Lent is a season where you're invited to reconsider the way you're doing life. Just reconsider it. To question the questions that you're asking. Maybe the questions we're asking are truly good questions. Or maybe the questions that we're asking are rooted in a very confused view of reality, and that confused view of reality needs to be confronted. Maybe we need to repent. Maybe we need to reevaluate our assumptions. Maybe we need to question our questions, ask, what's really going on behind that question? In other words, what am I really asking? So spend the next few weeks in a series of really brief, provocative statements that Jesus makes called the Beatitudes. It's in Matthew chapter 5. And this is a summary of the Sermon on the Mount, kind of bullet points of what Jesus says is the main important thing in how to live. So I'm not going to get into them today, but I thought we'd read them together because this is the direction that we're going. So let's read these eight statements together. I'll lead, and then when we come to the comma, you join me in the second half of each statement, all right? This is Jesus teaching to the disciples and a bunch of other people in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I need to slow down. I need to sink in that for a little bit. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Hmm. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst 
for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And let's read the last one all together. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So you may read these eight statements and think, this sounds nothing like me at all. <laughs> you may read these statements and go, this doesn't match how I think at all. Uh, none of these really, I was meeting with a friend a couple of months ago when I started to work on this, and uh, we, we were reading this together, and I, my comment was, almost none of this applies to me. <laughs> I just feel like it's completely different. I, I definitely feel that some of these statements, they just don't apply. So if that's how you feel, I'd say, I'd say two things to you. Okay? If you're just like, what? I just don't think that way. That's not my definition of blessing. Right? None of these things apply. Two things to you, I would say. First, uh, don't be concerned. Don't be concerned. This is a value system. This is a, a way of understanding what it means to be blessed that is very different from our culture's understanding of what it means to be blessed. It probably shouldn't come as a shock to you that you don't relate to seeing things quite like this. Uh, most in our culture don't. So the first thing I'd say to you is if you're like, whoa, I don't really feel like, well, you know what? Don't be concerned because almost nobody in our culture really buys this view of, of blessing. So the first thing I'd say is, don't be concerned. And the second thing I'd say, if that's the way you feel, is uh, be very concerned. Yeah, be very concerned. Because Jesus is laying out a way of, of, of life that we typically avoid at all costs. And he's saying there is blessing in these situations. What situations? The situations that we run away from and avoid at all costs. We don't want to be involved in these sort of things at all most of the time. I mean, the stories that we read, the movies that we watch, the people whose lives we hold up and celebrate glorify a very different set of values. We should be concerned about this. We should ask, what am I missing here? <laughs> maybe the questions that we're asking are not the right questions. Uh, or maybe the questions that we're asking are all right, but there are other, more honest, more potentially disturbing questions that are beneath these sort of socially acceptable questions. So when I say that you should question your questions, you probably have no idea how to do that. Uh, and that's why you need to embrace the season of Lent. That's why. Uh, maybe for Lent, you do something to help yourself question the questions that your life is built on. Maybe you voluntarily disrupt your pattern for the purpose of reevaluating your questions and seeing things in life that you've become just too comfortable with. It's really a matter of simple addition or subtraction. You add something to your life, you take something away. It's like doing something and not doing something. That's really what it comes down to. 
in order to disrupt, in order to evaluate, in order to know how to question your questions. So one of the things I'm doing is I'm going to give up lunch several days of the week, and I'm going to just take a simple walk around downtown as a way of uh, questioning the assumptions that kind of govern my day, one of which is I have way too much work and not enough time. So I'm going to evaluate that. Um, and that's one of the ways I'm going I'm to do that. Maybe something you could do is give up a meal. Well, I need to eat is the immediate response uh, to which I would say, do you really? Uh, no, you want to eat. I mean, some of us need to eat really consistently for health reasons. But most of us don't need to eat every meal. Most of us just want to eat every meal. Um, maybe you could give up TV. I need to relax. Really? I mean, really? I is that really what you need? Maybe you add a morning prayer time. Oh, I don't have time for that. Well, that's probably something that could be reevaluated, right? Ask yourself, if I could change one part of my life, what would it be? If I could change one part of my life, one part, if I could change it, what would it be? And then embrace a simple discipline. Do something or don't do something. Add something or subtract something that directly addresses or has to do with that one thing in your life that you would like to change. And don't miss this part because this is just typical self-help crud unless you put, it the, put this asterisk. Not as a way of fixing that one thing in your life that you'd like to change, but as a way of questioning the questions that you're asking about that one part of your life. Do you follow me there? We're not going to try to identify a way of fixing that one part of our life. We're going we're gonna, we're gonna to identify that one part of our life that we'd like to fix or that we'd like to change because we want to back up and ask questions about what is it that causes me to want to change that thing. We want to disrupt our assumptions that we're bringing to that thing, to that part of your life. Maybe this will help. Um, one of the things I did in Thailand last week was I met with staff at the school. And one, of the, one day, one staff person came to me and they said, they, they confessed, they said, I'm just so tired of being single. I'm just so tired of it. And then a couple days later, Another person came and said, I'm just so tired of being married. <laughs> just so tired of it. And they were totally serious. I know it kind of sounds funny, but they were totally serious, right? Lent is not about finding a solution to the problem, whatever you perceive your problem to be, right? Lent is about examining why your problem is a problem. It's about questioning the questions that you're asking. Why am I still single? Why is my marriage so hard? Why was that guy born blind? Right? It's about why am I asking those questions in the first place? What am I trying to get to, really? Because those are just surface types of questions. We need to get behind those questions. We typically ask questions... And we want, the reason we're asking them is because we want an easy answer so we can fix it. God, give me an easy answer to my question so I can fix it. 
Most of the time, we ask questions because we want answers, and that's understandable. We want clear, definitive, immediate answers. But what we find is that these kinds of answers, clear, definitive, and immediate answers, are not as common as we want them to be. And so, because clear, definitive, and immediate answers don't come easily, we tend to stop asking good, real, hard, honest questions. It's like we want answers so badly that we're willing to change the questions that we ask in order to get more easy answers. We stop asking real questions. We stop asking honest questions because we can't handle not having the quick, definitive, immediate answers. In John's Gospel, in in chapter 9 of John's Gospel, where Jesus and his disciples, they come across that blind man, and they say, why was this man born blind? Did he sin? Did his parents sin? And Jesus says, neither he or his parents sinned. Essentially, Jesus is saying, will you guys repent? Will you change your mind? Will you turn around? Will you reevaluate your assumptions that are, that are the root of this question that you're asking? Because you're asking the wrong question. I can't answer your question because if I answer your question, I'm going to reinforce the worldview from which that question comes, and it's faulty. It's not like that. Disciples are like A or B, and Jesus is like neither. Your question is wrong because it's based on assumptions that need to change. So Jesus actually challenges assumptions, and most people won't do that. Why won't most people do that? Because they want so badly to give you an answer. And so they'd rather give you a flimsy answer than ask you a real question. Because that's what you get. You get flimsy answers when you ask shallow questions. But believing flimsy answers just doesn't do any good. Flimsy answers are really cute and and nice, but they don't stand up in the hospital. Right? Flimsy answers don't work in the middle of the night. I need something real. I need something better than that. I want to invite you to seek fewer answers and more resolutions during Lent. More resolutions and fewer answers. Here's what I mean by that. Answers, and this is where I'm working on right now. This is, this is my cutting edge right now. Answers are transactional. You get an answer, you're done, you move on. Resolutions are relational. You live with, relu- with resolutions. You, you don't move on. If anything, you move through Most of the problems we're dealing with in life, in real life, require resolutions. Quick, easy answers don't really help. Because most of the time we know they're unrealistic. We know they're not good enough, strong enough, deep enough. So instead of asking, how can I get rid of this mess? We should ask, how should I live in this mess. Do you see the difference? That's the difference between an answer and a resolution. I'll give you just two examples of that. When Martha, Mary's sister, Lazarus's sister, confronts Jesus angrily because she sent him a message a long time ago saying, Jesus, my brother is sick. Can you come 
and heal him. And Jesus finally comes, but it's way too late. Lazarus is dead. He's been buried for a while. Her question is essentially, why didn't you fix this? To which Jesus responds, your brother will rise again. Which Martha mistakes as an answer to her question. And as an answer to her question, it doesn't satisfy her. That's why she says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She takes her own question, she answers it, it's an easy answer, it's a transaction, now it's done, and her own answer answers her own question on one, on one level, but it doesn't really help because she's trying to live in the reality of brokenness, and that answer doesn't let her do it. So Jesus corrects her, he says, I am the resurrection, I am the life, and whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. So what Jesus reveals is that she's not really looking for an answer, for a quick, easy transaction to get rid of this reality. That's not really what she's looking for. What she's really looking for is a resolution. She's looking for a way to live in this reality, right? That's what we need. You can't just get rid of the real stuff that's hard in your life right now. You just can't get rid of most of it. It's just that deeply broken here. So if I give you three easy steps to get rid of the pain after the loss of your loved one, you're going to go, maybe that was cute, well done, they all rhymed or something lame. But it's not helpful to me because it's way too shallow. It's a flimsy answer which comes from shallow questions. Instead, what you really are looking for is a way to live with that brokenness, a way to live through that brokenness. You need a resolution, not an answer. It's the question behind the question. That's what you're looking for. You're looking, you're not looking for that first answer to the question. You're looking for the, the deeper question behind the question. One more example. Um, the week before I went to Thailand, three of you, three families from this community let me know that they lost their job. While I was in Thailand, I got another email from a fourth family who lost their job. We're already praying for people who are looking for work. Now, none of those families said this to me, but I just use this as an example because it feels so relevant. None of them said this, but the obvious question would be, why did I lose my job? Right? That's the valid question. And there's probably a simple answer to that. But even if you learned the answer to that, it really wouldn't help, would it? Because the real question behind that question is something far deeper than that. The real question is not, why did I lose my job? No, the real question is something like, will God provide for me and my family? The real question is, can I trust God? Right? The real question is, do I trust God? Does God care about me? Is there a God? Right? This just goes deeper and deeper. So more helpful than seeking an answer is seeking a resolution. Not something that gets rid of the issue, but something that helps us to live with the issue in a faithful way. If you give me an easy answer, I'll keep asking shallow questions. What I need is to question my questions. I need to say, why am I asking that? 
I need to get behind, I need to get to the question that's behind my question. What am I really looking for? What am I really asking here? Because that's where we find the way. That's where we find the truth. That's where we find the life that God has called us to live by his grace. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Pray for mercy, Lord. I look out at faces that I know so many here, and I, I know of loss and pain and brokenness and di deep disappointment. I know of things that don't even make sense. Loss. And I know that what we need is not some simple, quick, glib, easy fix. We need something so much deeper than that, and I pray for that for us, God. That we would receive peace in the midst of the chaos. Your presence right in the darkness. Your companionship in the grief. Your conviction of presence. Everything else feels stripped away. I pray for grace for us, Lord. get beyond the why did this happen who sinned whose fault is this kinds of questions and get more to the so this so the work of god could be displayed in our life kind of questions i pray that you would be the resurrection in our life that we would come to you and somehow you'd you'd you start connecting the dots for some of us who just feel totally bleary-eyed by the realities that surround us. God, have mercy on us. Fill us with your spirit so that we can lean into this season of repentance and simplicity and come out stronger, better, truly changed. And we pray, God, that you would, um, that you would hold us through that and enable us to celebrate the resurrection in a month or so. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.